Hey everyone, Mario Barecki here, and I am known as the Conversation Guy. I'm also the founder of MediaMar, and at MediaMar, we help thought leaders craft and distribute conversations that convert. I believe everything starts with a conversation. I believe conversations are the most powerful way to create connections, to create relationships, and to create opportunities with each other. So everything has a basis in conversation. And on this podcast that you're about to listen to, I'm going to have 10-minute conversations with thought leaders to do just that, create relationships, create opportunity, but more importantly, to convey value, value from them and their perspective and how they operate on a daily basis, and to really tell a story that can bring some value and positivity tips, tricks, ideas, what have you, to your life to make it better. So sit back, relax, buckle in. It's going to be a wild ride. I know those things don't quite go together. Sit back, relax, and buckle in. But it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to get the conversation started right now. And as always, don't forget, if you like what you hear, please rate and review our podcast. I am super excited to have a very special guest here with us today. And there's certain people that you meet that you just know right away within the first like two to three minutes that there's something special there. And this is one of those people. I talk to a lot of people and I don't get that feeling quite that often, but this guy, he's genuine, he's authentic, and he's just, he, he really cares. And it shows through and shines through in his work, which I can't wait to talk about here in a few minutes. His name is Johnny Pavlik. He is the founder and CEO of the international branding and marketing firm, Mantra Media. With over 20 years of experience in branding, marketing, and strategy, Johnny has consulted with the European Parliament, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government, British Members of Parliament, the NHS, and the UKTI, and a plethora of others. He's been featured on Good Morning Britain, the BBC Political Debates, BBC Radio, Osaka Radio, and many others. Over the last 10 years, he's had his strategies implemented by governmental, private, and charity sectors in North America, South Africa, Western Europe, Southeast Asia and Australia. So he covers some miles. He gets around. They do a lot of work. You can find more about him at his website, mantrahq.com. So go there and check him out. You can also connect with him across LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Those links you can find in the show notes. Johnny, it's such a pleasure to have you on, my friend. That's such a mouthful, right? <laughs> You're an important guy. What can I say? Make sure we cover all the bases. I, I hope I can meet all the expectations. <laughs> Thank I have no doubt, my friend. I have no doubt, my It's a pleasure. And I just, I enjoyed speaking with you so much the last time we talked and learning more about your story and your background and, you know, the, the amazing things you're doing in the world. I mean, you started out and I, we had this conversation even just a few minutes ago because I see the guitars hanging behind you. You started off as a musician. Maybe we should start there. So I, I always had a love of music and I was quite an erudite child. I, I was always very learned. I, I read constantly i remember when i was about i grew up in quite a poor area it was uh, what you would uh, consider like the projects in the us uh, it was a council estate in the uk and because going outside was dangerous uh, where i lived i read and read and read and read and read so i remember I must have been about 10 years old now i would have been younger and i found an encyclopedia and i decided that my six weeks holiday was going to be reading that encyclopedia and rewriting parts of it uh, ridiculous, I know, but the, the options were that or going outside and having to avoid walking on syringes and or getting into fights or just being very challenging situations because of the kind of people that surrounded us growing up. So music was a, a bit of an escapism for me. 
And when I was I was younger, I I was so it's a really wonderful story. I think when I was about ten years old, I really wanted to play a stringed instrument, and I wanted to play violin actually. And my father was like, "You're not playing violin. It's that's not a man's in- instrument. Very old fashioned." And, Unfortunately, you know, uh, was very against it. So he said, you need to play a manly instrument like a guitar. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And I went into school and there was a music teacher who was a beautiful human being. And he knew that, you know, I couldn't just buy a guitar. You know, I didn't come from affluence or anything like that. So he let me play this acoustic guitar as much as I wanted. And he let me take it home. And then when I came back from the holidays, I obviously brought the guitar back in and he said, no, keep it. I don't think he was meant to do that, but he wanted to help me. And when I was 13, I started gigging because I I developed a skill very quickly. It wasn't like there wasn't a gap between picking up a guitar and being able to play it. It was for some reason I picked up a guitar and I could play. (laughs) I don't know if there was a guitarist in a past life, maybe. But I started to play. And then when I was 17, I started touring. I toured Europe. Uh, did the Blue Note Jazz Tour, played in the Camp Show Bands for, you know, so 21 years ago, I, I did this huge county show and uh, played in the big bands. And so there's a lot of jazz and rock. And at the same time, I decided to venture into entrepreneurialism, even though the word entrepreneur wasn't in our, you know, it wasn't in the UK lexicon. And I imported guitars from the US and Japan realized the exchange rate was amazing for the UK and could sell the guitars for twice the price in in the UK. And it was still cheaper than it was in the local guitar stores. So from from the age of 17, 18, I was already very entrepreneurial. And, and that kind of music, the marriage of music and marketing elevated me in a way that meant I could cut my teeth when MySpace really started cooking on gas around the start of the the early 2000s. And that's when I really started to be able to develop these massive audiences online for for brands and musicians and things. I love when an entrepreneur takes two things that you may not think kind of go together and puts them together to be successful, like music and marketing. Now, in today's world, yeah, it's very common, right? But back when you did it, it was new and innovative. And it was something that, you know, you tried, you got the idea and it just kind of, it kind of took off. What were some challenges you met when you were first, you know, implementing that, that ideology, so to speak? Well, I think at the time that there was no such thing really as social media as a term, you know, people weren't using it and uh, social media management would, <laughs> you'd be called some kind of wizard. And uh, I, I still hold that title. Um, so, so I should time, add that to your bio. I, I really should. I like um, but yeah, it was it was um, it was it was unusual for somebody to be going to brands. I, I mean, I go back to two thousand and seven when I was telling brands that they need to be, need to be using Facebook, and everyone was saying, "What's Facebook?" And then, even up until. 2014 2015 when i said look you know you're gonna have to be bidding higher and higher prices for advertising space on these these online platforms if you don't get in right now 
And by and large, most of the UK brands ignored me still. <laughs> so, and this is why um, right from the beginning, I just started to work more in um, foreign markets outside of the UK because um, the UK market, when it comes to marketing, is so behind. Um, and if you're too far ahead, so I think you have to have that really, um, you have to have that, that point that's that's not too far ahead and not too far behind, right? It's that sweet spot. And I was I was always a little bit too far ahead in what I thought could be useful, like the democratization of voice through the internet. Um, but thankfully, because I've been in the industry now for for twenty odd years, it's people are going ah right. So these predictions and forecasting he's making that's probably going to be useful. We should do it. Um, so, but yeah, the, one of the biggest challenges was the adoption of contemporary technologies uh, for marketing purposes. Um, even even now, there are some brands that we speak to, and uh, we say, you know, LinkedIn business development strategies are incredibly useful, regardless of your sector. Um, and they'll say, oh, we'll just do an ad in the paper, and we go, okay. <laughs> is the paper even still a thing? <laughs> it, it is, but um, it's it's interesting the way that that everything's moving and the different rates of adoption that certain industries take and such. And one of the things that I love about your approach too is that you're when you you alluded to it when you told the story of the encyclopedia, but you're super analytical. So when I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, what I hear them say is, "Well, so and so, this thought influencer or this person that I follow said that I should do this, so now I'm going to go do this." And they just like go do it willy nilly. Mm -hmm. They don't put much thought into it. They don't look at numbers. They don't put much strategy behind it. And then they're surprised when it doesn't work the way that they expect it. Mm -hmm. But one of the things you do with your company really, really, really well, better than probably anyone that I've seen so far, is use data to drive the strategy. Maybe you can talk, speak to that for a few minutes. Sure. Yeah. I, I, thank you. I, I really appreciate you saying that as well. It's um, for me. It's it's a common sense approach to to how you speak to your audiences. It's it's primary research, right? So. If you're going to build a business or create a brand or start a campaign, you need to get part of. You need to get involved in co-creation. Um, you need to be speaking to the people who are going to be part of that journey. So when we've taken uh, brands from, say, the UK market to the Japanese market and things like that, we've put their their um, potential clients in a room and said, "Look, we're wanting to enter this market. What do you think?" You know, that's some really good qual, some qualitative research process, because you're getting the buy-in before you've even launched. Um, it works in a number of different ways. But again, it's, it's, it's a sensible pseudo-academic look at things. So I say pseudo because it's not just about the academics of how you engage, but it's the psychological aspects of how that works. So when we're developing campaigns or, or uh, helping a, a company open in a new, new market, we do a number of different things. So one is, is quantitative research. So uh, maybe we need a plethora of voices that meet very specific demographics with a particular geographical region. They're going to say X, Y, and Z. So we know how they think and feel about certain processes and businesses, sectors, et cetera. Uh, the next bit is qualitative. How deep can we have those conversations? Next is big data, audience listening, um, and then psychological observation and testing. 
So we know that if we use certain lexicon in, in a particular syntax, it will have a very different process in the internal uh, monologue that somebody has when they say something else. So if you present marketing messages, and this 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 goes beyond the, the words as well. This also goes into the visuals. There is a subconscious, subtle um, um, process that involves inspecting and understanding the connotations and denotations of what this thing means. What is it? What does it mean to me? What does it associate? And uh, if, if you know your linguistics, you know that certain words will have very different responses in very different demographics. And, and it's not just different demographics, it's also time of the year, it's time of the day. It's, there's so much that goes into this, there's so much nuance. So as an organization, we are very obsessed with how you communicate in the most productive way possible. And um, and I think most, most marketeers, uh, most Marketing companies have been around for a very long time and missing a trick because they're not using psychology properly and they're not using an, uh, this pre-analysis, pre-campaign analysis properly. Um, and, I, and I think that's one of the reasons that we've been so successful to produce the outcomes that people need rather than just meaningless metrics. I love that. It's almost like you take a metaphysical approach to launching these campaigns because you know metaphysics everything starts with language everything starts with what does a word really mean you know it's the study mm -hmm. of being is being but to get to that essence you have to be able to articulate it so that it's understandable and you can really analyze it and get to the essence of what that means and it sounds like you take a similar approach to what you're doing when you launch campaigns you use the data and the research and all the information at your disposal but you're trying to boil it down into what's the essence of this and how do we articulate that so that other people not only understand it but they want to be part of it i'm i'm a huge um advocate of fundamental principles what is the problem you're trying to solve um the you know it's it's that thing, I can't remember where I read it. It was about the reinvention of the of the car. It's like, are you trying to reinvent the car? Or are, you get, are you trying to answer a question about transportation? You know, um, because you can make cars faster. But is, is the car the answer or is car the problem? What is it? What's the essential? What is the fundamental question that you're trying to answer or the problem you're trying to solve? And for us, that's where it comes in. And Yes, there is a lot of political philosophy that comes into that as well. Mikhail Bakhtin, who came up with this, the, the idea of the utterance um, and, and how we each have a personal relationship with the language that we use and what it means to us. Yeah, that's super fascinating stuff. And I can't wait to get more in depth with all of this on the next episode because you promised to come back for round two and i'm super excited for that before we go i have one closing question that i want to ask you that i like to ask all of our guests i have a uh a 
procedure that I've kind of created, a system that I've created to help people start their day. And it's called the GEO method. It stands for gratitude, intention, outcome. And I like to start with the outcome and then create actual intention items to, to help me build towards that outcome and then focus on some things that can build gratitude. So I operate from that state. So that's kind of the 300,000 foot view. But what I want to ask you is before we go, if you don't mind sharing, what's one outcome that you're currently working on that you're focusing on a little each day and you're building momentum towards? building our voice in North America. That's, that's, uh, we see a lot of opportunities in North America right now. Um, most of the marketing there is that there's a huge focus on influencers and things like that. And I'm all, I'm already seeing the end tail of this. Um, the backlash has been happening for about a year and a half. It's going to accelerate. And there are certain people that you may have noticed that there are some very popular stroke, famous, infamous uh, marketeers in the US that are very noisy. Um, they make a lot of sound, but there's no content. But it sounds like they're saying really amazing things that are going to change your life tomorrow. But when you actually analyze what they say, they don't actually say anything. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just noise with no content. So, and I think that people are starting to wake up uh, I think that's going to start happening as um, as people become uh, more reflexive and hope, hopefully um, engage with messages more for, in a in a meaningful way. So being able to analyze things that they're being being told rather than just absorbing it. Um, mm -hmm. There's a, a particular uh, entrepreneur in the US that, that kind of tells everybody they're going to be rich in five days. And uh, all they have to do is do what I do. Or um, and and there's so many things that are wrong with that. We know that meritocracy isn't doesn't really work because of the, people don't understand how many advantages they they're they're born with. Um, and what we need to be going towards is equity, equitability, which is actually giving everybody the same opportunities and making sure that everybody um, has a voice uh, rather than. Um, uh, a, a current system that only gives advantages to those that are already privileged. Yeah, I agree. Everyone needs needs to have at least an at bat. What you do with that shot is up to you, but I believe that everyone needs, and that's where I think that's where meritocracy comes in. It's when you get the chance based on the merit and what you do with that chance is the results are the results you're going to create. But everyone does it deserve to have at least a shot and the same shot. Everyone should be shooting the bat, the ball from the same line with the same conditions, and you have a chance. Now, what you do with that is up to you, and that's where your merit comes into play. But at least you have the chance. And if, if you don't make it for whatever reason, then you got no one to blame but yourself at that point. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, Johnny, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. I can't wait to have you back and pick up the conversation on the next show. MantraHQ.com is where people can find you online and also LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. They can grab those links from the show notes, make sure they connect with you, reach out to you. I know that you're a busy, busy guy, but you try to be as accessible as possible. So we appreciate that. And I can't wait to pick it up on the next show, my friend. Thank you ever so much. It's beyond a pleasure. 
Hey everyone, I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the podcast. It really means a lot to me. Conversations are what I thrive on. It's something that I believe is so important for each and every one of us to have conversations that matter, to have conversations that connect us, to create relationships with each other. So the conversation that I have with the guests that are on the show, the conversations that the guests and I create to have with you are equally important and a great way for you to have conversations with us is to rate and review the podcast. So if you could go to Apple Podcasts, go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate and review this, it is much appreciated. And you can always find us at MediaMario.com. If you go to MediaMario.com, you can find all the things there. If you want to connect with the guests that I had on today or guests that I've had on the show in the past, you can go to MediaMario.com and get their information. If you want to connect with me and have a conversation with me, I welcome that. All my social links everywhere that you can find me all over the web is at MediaMario.com. So go there, visit us, connect with us. I'd love to have conversations with you. I hope you found value in today's show, and I can't wait to bring you the next conversation on the next episode of The Conversation Guy. Until then, have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you real soon.